Thanks so much for joining us here on the Rivers Church Podcast. We see a church full of passionate people who reach the unchurched with the gospel of Jesus. Our heart is to equip people to love, live, and lead in God's kingdom. We hope you enjoyed today's message and pray that it encourages you to be all that God has destined you to be. If you need anything, please feel free to reach out to us and check us out on our website at riverschurch.co. That's riverschurch.co. be a good idea. Would you pray with me, Lord? We just invite your presence in here. There were several words given before we even walked in here, before we even started the service, that your word never returns void. It's like the water. It's like the rain that falls down, the monsoon that falls down. It doesn't return void, but it comes up in flowers. It nourishes the earth. God, may we allow your word to nourish us today. Holy Spirit, come and fill in all the gaps of my human frailty and use what I have to offer, not only as to worship to you, but to change hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Before I came on up here, I totally pulled a hangnail, which was stupid, and now I'm bleeding. Anybody do that? (laughs) Some people are like, that's why I get manicures. Like, I really need to do that. Well, if you don't know, my name is Amy. I am one of the pastors here, and I've been on vacation for like a month, and it's been fantastic. We're going to talk about that a little bit. If you don't know, we've been in this series called Abide or Die, and maybe you're thinking like, what does that even mean? Well, I'm going to tell you right now, uh, abide is a word that Jesus used, um, and he describes what abiding in him is because, right, Jesus has life, life abundant for us. And so we don't have access to that unless we abide. And he likens that to a branch being cut off from its from a tree, right? When it's not getting its life source, it can't be alive, it dies. And so we as Christians become alive in Christ when we give our life to him. And when we stay connected to him, the vine or the tree, whatever you want to say, um, then we have that life living in us. But when we become de- disconnected from him, then we die because we're spiritual beings. And so that is what we're talking about. Abide or die. Our amazing Shay, who is a young adult leader as well as a youth leader, is the one who coined this phrase and made this sticker. Um, I don't know if you know this, but we have stickers if you need to remind yourself to abide or die. Um, This has been something that has been working in me over the last couple of years um, and has literally changed my life. And we'll talk about that a little bit. I actually got this week the opportunity to talk about kindness. And at first I was like, hmm, kindness. (laughs) I don't know about you, but have you ever looked at kindness and thought that's a strong word? really passionate about talking about kindness. In fact, two days ago, I was at lunch with someone and I thought, I'm going to describe this person as a kind man. Instantly, Mr. Robert, Mr. Rogers popped into my mind. And when I think about a man that's kind, I usually was like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to say that because it makes me think of sweater vests. And, but kindness, am I the only one, right? Kindness is actually quite powerful. 
So I'm excited to talk about kindness. Um, kindness is quite a beautiful word if you look at it. Um, I have a little, a little word kindness for you to see. And to say the word kindness, it kind of is nice. Say it with me, kindness. Kindness, it kind of rolls off your tongue. Well, lo and behold, I'm driving through Utah and I look up and there is Dolly Parton on a billboard talking to me about kindness. How ironic is that? And so Dolly, working nine to five, says this about kindness. Kindness is finding the good in everybody. And I have to agree with Dolly, that is a great statement. Um, but it's important for us to understand why is kindness finding the good in everybody? And that is because everybody is made in the image of God. And God is good, which means everyone has the potential to be good. And so she's really speaking something powerful here is that kindness is finding the good in everyone. And when we find the good in everyone, we are recognizing that they have value simply because they're created by God. It's powerful, right? Kindness, according to Webster's Dictionary, is this, the quality of state or state of being. And right, being and doing are kind of like the same. I love that word being, right? Because I can think kind thoughts, but it doesn't always mean that I'm doing kind things, correct? So the Webster's Dictionary here is talking about instances of kindness or the state or quality of being kind or benevolent in action, uh, which is also what Galatians 5 is saying. I love that it says that right there, kindness in action. And that's actually because the Greek word, I'm getting ahead of myself, I'm getting way ahead of myself. We're going to get back to the Greek word. I'm going to tell you that in a minute. But there's a reason it says kindness in action. Okay, so kindness. When we often think of kindness, sometimes what pops in our minds, maybe not yours, but mine, is exaggerated times that I've been kind to other people. Trying to impress other people. I mean, I know I'm the only one that does that. Nobody else does that in here. Um, or times that I've been very unkind. Also, I'm probably the only one that has been unkind in this room. I just got off a road trip with two teenagers, a 10-year-old, and my husband. And we were sick for the first week of this road trip. Um, side note, we actually brought Ziploc bags because we were vomiting for the 13-hour trip. Probably threw away six bags of vomit. That's just special for you. Hey, if you think that's gross, imagine riding in the car with that for 13 hours, okay? Needless to say, kindness wasn't as easy. It was a little bit difficult. I wasn't living out of kindness, but maybe living out of a place of irritation, annoyance, and maybe a little sarcasm, right? We had to address this with our kiddos because, right, we say something unkind, and what's the first thing that we say after that? I was just joking. We say a good zinger. Oh, I was just joking, right? But kindness starts in our heart, and it becomes an action. I would love to show you this video because I think the people that display kindness the best are little kids. What the heck? They do, like, the craziest, kindest things. I mean, they can be totally terrible, and then all of a sudden they do this miraculous kind thing that you're like, I would never do that. So I'm going to fill the room with kindness cuteness right now with this video. Thank you. 
fuzzies. Did watching that video give you a little warm fuzzies? I think often when we think of kindness, we think about what it does for us. That when I'm kind, then I get a warm and fuzzy feeling. But can I be real about kindness for a minute? It involves sacrifice. And sacrifice does not feel good. Not all the time. The goal of kindness is not to get the warm fuzzies. That's the byproduct of kindness, but it's not the end goal. No, true kindness isn't self-focused. It's not even others-focused. It's focused on something else. Often when kindness is doing the most, it actually is the hardest for us to do. And man, there's so much I want to say about that. But you know that experience when you've been kind at work or your spouse, you've maybe been kind to your spouse, not to highlight Tyrone or not, but, and you're just waiting for the thank you. I know, again, I'm the only one that's been there. <laughs> you do something super kind and you're like, okay, it's been an hour. There's like no thank you. Like I did the dishes. I've loaded the dishwasher for you. <laughs> and there is no thank you coming. But that is really an indicator of the motive in which we are being kind. We're doing it for something else. It becomes self-focused. It's when our motives are tested. I love this quote by Mother Teresa. We're going to put it up for you right now. And it's about kindness, but so much more. It's something that I live by, and I don't know if you've heard this before, but it's pretty powerful. People are often unreasonable and self-centered, including myself. Forgive them anyways. If you are kind, people may accuse you of ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are honest, people may cheat you. Be honest anyway. If you find happiness, people may be jealous. Be happy anyways. The good you do today may be forgotten tomorrow. Do good. Give the world the best you have, and it may never be enough, and it probably won't. Give your best anyways. For you see, in the end, it is between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. Powerful stuff from Mother Teresa right there. Our big idea today is abiding in Christ breaks the power of sin, and it frees us to act in authentic kindness. The Greek word for kindness, see, I told you I got, a, I got ahead of myself. I'm going to say it, but I'm going to tell you right now, I do not know how it's supposed to be said, so do not judge me. Okay, it's Christotis, but look it up. I will show it to you. Maybe I'll put it on our Facebook. This is incredible because Paul knows what he's doing in Galatians when he uses this word. He is saying this is tender concern and uprightness or rightness. It is kindness, not only of heart, but of action. And that's why um, the Passion Translation actually says kindness of action. And I know the Passion Translation gets a lot of you know, pushback because it can be more of a, uh, what do you say, a paraphrase. But it's actually correct here in the Greek because when they say kindness, they're not just saying kindness of heart. They're saying kindness of heart and action. It's, it's both together. It's intentional. It does what's best for others. It sums up loving your neighbor as yourself. It's pretty powerful. 
I don't know about you, but I, I'm asking myself this question. What does kindness really look like? And I asked it on Facebook, and I got a lot of crazy different answers. Um, maybe I'll share them um, on our social media later. But what does kindness look like for you at work? What does it look like for you in your home or at school? What does kindness look like? Sometimes kindness is just simply refraining from saying or doing something that you know would cause someone emotional harm, right? And maybe that's like on the road. You just choose not to flip that person off or you choose not to use your horn. Come on, you guys, let's be real. <laughs> I see you online too. Or you choose not to say something, right? Somebody says something annoying. Or maybe they muddle their words. This happens a lot. And we have to say, sometimes what we do is we say, oh, did you mean that word? And maybe it's not pointing out something somebody made a mistake on. Kindness can be refraining as well. So um, I am going to put a picture up right now that I think is going to evoke some emotion. Are you ready? Can we pop that picture up? Do we know who this character is? Uh, yep. Oh, there we go. That's what I was hoping for. <laughs> right? The worst character ever. Right? Okay. Did you know? First of all, why do we hate this character so much? Oh, wow. Here we go. Here we go. Yes. Okay. So did you know that this is the internet's first ever character? Do you know what that means? This is the internet's first ever meme, right? Where you take an image of someone and you use it to laugh at their expense. This is it. This is the first one. It's very interesting. Do you know that there were websites created dedicated to Jar Jar Binks dying? Hundreds of websites. Kill Jar Jar Binks, cut his head off. They made graphic images. He is the first meme, literally. It's very entertaining. If you have any time to listen to incredible podcasts that are just really funny, listen to The Redemption of Jar Jar Binks. It's very interesting. But here's what happened with Jar Jar Binks, right? Fans of Star Wars who watched it when they were a kid and are now adults felt very cheated because what they wanted was an adult film, but what they got was a child's character. And they were so upset because Star Wars belongs to them. And they have a right to be angry at Jar Jar Binks. Sorry, I'm going there. Did you know that Jar Jar Binks is a total technical feat? It is the first live-action cartoon to be played by an actual human being. Did you know that Jar Jar Binks' voice and his actions were all coming from a human? And the reason that we felt comfortable saying these things about Jar Jar Binks is because we believed that he was not a human. But in all actuality, the actor that played Jar Jar Binks is named Ahmad Best. Here he is, a human, a father, an actor. He actually fully created this character. And he had to live with all the comments of I hate you. He actually came to a point of wanting to commit suicide at one point. And, you know, it's all because 
we do this dehumanization thing that allows us to be very unkind. And this is an interesting study in that. And so I have a question for you this morning that may seem unconnected, but it is. Bear with me for a minute. What's your flavor? What is the taste that you leave in whatever atmosphere you're in? What's your flavor? Do you know what your flavor is at work, at home, at school, on social media? What is the taste you live, leave behind? Because kindness causes every action to have a flavor of grace. Every action, even online, it's so that people can taste that God is good. What flavor are you leaving behind? Kindness towards those we love is, is hard, right? I mean, I just got off a road trip. Let me tell you, it was a little difficult. But kindness towards those that we despise and feel we have a right to hate, or kindness towards people that have wronged us, or I don't know, you offended us, hurt us, been mean to us, or annoy us, because that's the big thing now. If something annoys me, I'm going to make a meme about it, right? And we forget. I don't know if you scroll through some of those pictures and you think, that's a real person. Okay, side note, this is free. But sometimes I look at these church memes of like worship, and I got really convicted because I'm like, this was a real person doing their best, and I'm just sitting here making fun of them. I, you know what I mean? It feels like they're not a real person when they're on a screen. So I'm working through this myself. But when we have kindness towards someone that has really harmed us, it has to be supernatural. We cannot do it on our own. And that's why it points to the goodness of God. You see, people need to taste the goodness of God, and you might be the only goodness of God that they get a chance to taste. When we show the kindness of God through our actions, we gain the attention of the world. And man, this is going to really trip you out here because Jesus is more into kindness than you would ever realize. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's our kindness that will lead people to repentance in our lives as well. Paul says it in Romans, right? That it's his kindness that leads us, leads us to repentance. It's not our witty comebacks. It's not our ability to prove ourselves or to prove that God's right. Kindness is so powerful that it's what Jesus chose to bring people to repentance. I don't know about you, but like when I think about bringing people to repentance, I think about a list of things they've done wrong. Oh, did you hear my disciple maker guy come out, they done wrong. (laughs) Sorry, we have a good friend that's from the South, and boy, I done start talking like him, right? We want to point out, but it's actually kindness that leads us to repentance. It worked for Jesus. Could it work for us? Do we believe it could work for us, I guess is the question. So just reminding us, the big idea is abiding in Christ breaks the power of sin, and frees us to act in authentic kindness. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the ways that we can act in kindness. We can choose it, we can engage in it, we can model it, and we can practice it. So we choose it, right, by our per- letting go of our preferred attitude, tone of voice, jokes or sarcasm, annoyance, irritations, insecurities, our desire to be elevated to look good, being right, having our voice heard, and over pride. 
We practice it, this is putting it into action, by abstaining from saying things we shouldn't, gossip, slander, sarcasm, um, to online people, and maybe we refrain from saying things we shouldn't about politicians, and we pray about them more than complain about them, right? There are people, too. We engage in it. Random acts of kindness for someone we don't even know, right? Maybe you've been in a restaurant and you've seen a server totally waylaid and cussed out and you stand up for them. That's an act of kindness. Put the cart back, pick up some trash, leave things better than you found it. Help a coworker. And we model it. We do it in front of our spouse and our children. Those we're discipling, those we're mentoring, those we're wanting to lead to Christ. I think sometimes that list can get overwhelming, though, and we need to remember that what I just listed, right? Choose it, engage in it, practice it, model it. That's really the fruit of kindness. How do we bear the fruit of kindness? What is fruit? It's the evidence of what's inside of me. And Tyrone says it this way, fruit happens. I'm going to just be gross and say a poop thing right now. I'm so sorry. Like, Tony, this is for you. Um, (laughs) Do you know how many, I I bored dogs through Rover. Do you know how many dogs get so excited that poop pops out? It's like the weirdest thing. I just bring them over to the tile, gate off the carpet. I know that they're going to get excited and poop is just going to pop out because fruit happens. When a toothpaste is squeezed, what's inside of it comes out, right? And so that can be very convicting for us. And so I would say, if you don't like your fruit, change something. And often what we do, I have like this image. I'm a very visual person. So I remember thinking about this. And you know what we do? We take this basket and we're running around. Like imagine a tree. And we're the tree. And we're also trying to prevent our fruit from being seen from other people. Because who wants to see a rotting apple on a, on a tree? And so as Christians, oftentimes we, instead of fixing the root, we run around with a basket and we're constantly cleaning up the fruit. And then we're rehanging some plastic fake fruit so that people see us as good. Number one, that's exhausting and it comes to an end because, oh my gosh, cleaning up the fruit that happens from me is a lot of work and also from the rover dogs because I don't like cleaning up poop. But, right, if we stop and we tend to the root, that's going to be a lot easier. It's a lot more time consuming. It takes a lot more vulnerability. And number one, it takes acknowledging what the fruit actually is instead of being in denial and just saying, oh, I don't like this Apple, I'm going to put a cherry up here. But saying, okay, an apple's here. What am I going to do about it? I'm going to go back and tend to the root. Acknowledge the fruit. Tend to the root. Because the fruit is a product of the root. And where the root is getting its nourishment from. And Paul, in Galatians, because he wrote this, this whole book, he is not trying to give you a list of things to live up to in the fruit of the Spirit. That is not the goal. What he's doing is giving the early church a way to know if they are living according to the fruit of the Spirit or according to the fruit of the flesh. He's helping them know, where is your root connected? Is it connected to the flesh? Is that where it's getting its nourishment? Or is it connected to the Spirit? And so it's not a list of condemnation. It's meant to be an indicator in any situation or circumstance that you're in to know right away if you are living by the Spirit or you are living by the flesh, right? It's pretty incredible. It was never meant 
to be a condemnation or a list of to-dos. It was also, and this is really interesting, just background of Galatians, the whole chapter is addressing false teachers. So it doesn't just, he's not just saying this for us to know our fruit. He's like, you need to know the fruit of those people that you are allowing to influence your life. And this is free, man. I'm just saying this, but we listen to a lot of preachers that we don't know their fruit. We don't know their fruit. And then what happens? They fall and we're like, oh, another one bit the dust. Boy, preachers are just bad. No, you just didn't know their fruit. Anybody can preach the word of God. I mean, God used a donkey. But not everybody can have the fruit of the spirit. And Paul is addressing this because he wanted the early church to know what to look for and how to know if they were getting their nourishment from their flesh or if they were getting their nourishment from the spirit. And this is, again, a side note, but too often we look for the credentials of people to be their gifts, right? Charisma, their ability to speak. Um, Let's talk about the gifts of the spirit, right? Prophesy, tongues interpretation, words of knowledge. But those are what those are. They are gifts, which means they're irrevocable. They're given for free. Their talent, their anointing, their ability, their charisma, they're given to them. But the fruit of the spirit is produced only by a life in the spirit. So I challenge you, think about who you listen to online. Do I know what their fruit is? Because if I'm going to let them speak into my life, I need to know if they're a false teacher or not. So just side note on that. Um, Again, this is a list not for condemnation, but for revelation. It's meant to reveal our need to get back to abiding with Jesus, right? The fruit pops out and we're like, there's the fruit. I'm supposed to hide it. No, you're supposed to say, okay, there's the fruit. Let's deal with it. Um, Because we want to experience God's kindness. And those that experience God's kindness are truly transformed by it. So the first thing that you need to experience, or the first thing that you need to change your fruit is to experience God's kindness and to live in it. God's kindness is salvation where we surrender to him and he breaks the power of flesh in our lives, right? I'm gonna read to you Titus 3, 4, and 5. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of righteous, the righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal of the Spirit. Or do you show contempt, this is Romans 2, 4, for the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? This is for us. Man, the gospel is so simple, isn't it? God created us to live in perfect goodness, love, mercy, the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That was his intent. But we sinned. Flesh came in, and it created brokenness. And I don't know about you, but I have experienced brokenness and sin from other people. Other people's fruit affects me. And that brokenness is there. And often what we do to try and fix that brokenness is run around with a basket and pick up the fruit. It just hurts other people. It hurts us. It rubber bands us right back into the brokenness. But, and, and maybe you've heard this before, but you need to hear it again. Jesus came from that perfect goodness in heaven. He died on the cross carrying our flesh and our sin, and he rose from the dead 
so that we could turn and believe in him. And when we make him Lord of our lives, not us, not our flesh, then he restores us back to that goodness that God originally intended us to live in. And that is how he broke the power of flesh in our life. But let's talk about something else because I don't know if you noticed that the power is broken, but sometimes fruit still happens. We have to partner together with the Holy Spirit to break the pattern and the habit of flesh in our lives. Those are two different things, right? At salvation, God breaks the power, but we, through obedience to the Word and the Spirit, break the pattern. And a lot of Christians just say, oh, he broke the power. I don't need to work on the pattern. I'm going to keep my patterns up because they're comfortable. But we work together. We have a job. If you see fruit in your life you don't like and you're a believer, you need to work together with the Holy Spirit to break a pattern because God wants to free you to live in authentic kindness. And another word for this is sanctification, right? Or we use spiritual disciplines. And man, lately spiritual disciplines have gotten a real bad rap because people use it to earn salvation or to earn the power or to earn being set free by the power of sin. But spiritual gifts, are you partnering with the Holy Spirit to get rid of the pattern of sin? Their ethics, it's crucifying the self-life, as the TPT so aptly put it, to live in the spirit life. And you know where it starts? You have heard this before. Are you ready? It starts with abiding, abiding, remaining, enjoying God's presence, because in God's presence, we are transformed. We are healed. Sin causes us to live apart from God. Our flesh causes us to live apart from God. But when we repent and we seek his presence, we experience a kindness like we have never known, and that transforms us. I don't know about you, but I want that kind of kindness. And I started the sermon with this, but kindness isn't accessible through self-focus. And dare I say it, it is not even accessible through others-focused. It's only accessible through being spirit-focused. And right, a lot of Christians have learned to be more Mormon. That sounds terrible. Just do good. Just do good. Just do good. No. Be spirit-focused, and you will do good. Be spirit-obedient, and you will be good. Be God-obedient, word-obedient, and goodness will come out of your life without even trying the Lord will tell you. It does take intentionality. Um, Okay, I wrote this quote down. I meant to get the guy's last name, and I didn't. I'm still giving George credit, okay? You see that? When we choose to... (laughs) This is not my quote. I'm not taking credit from it. (laughs) That made me chuckle. Okay. When we choose to pursue the presence of God, he responds, and the result is inner healing and transformation. That's what God has for you. He doesn't have a bunch of hoops for you to jump through, a bunch of to-dos. He's not trying to ruin your time, your schedule, your life, your plans. He's out to kill it (laughs) because he wants to fulfill you. In every way you desire, all those desires you have, God wants to fill you. God wants to move powerfully in your life. He wants actually to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. 
And that can only happen in his presence. Think about the list of things you're like, I I can't fix that. I can't do that. I can't fix that relationship. I can't change this addiction. I can't stop talking too much. That might be a little personal. (laughs) But God wants to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. And that is going to be where we surrender to his kindness towards us. And that's going to take time. It is. I'm sorry to say it, but you're going to have to give some time to Jesus. Praying and getting in his word to learn his voice, to learn how to relax in him, to learn how to hear the spirit and obey. Surrender to the spirit's leading. And what we exchange, what we get in exchange is so much greater so much. You guys, I look back, and this again is free, okay? I'm adding. Um, I look back at my 15-year-old self. I got saved at 15, and my spiritual growth was absolutely accelerated. Like, you could talk to me at 16, and you'd be like, oh my gosh, even my youth pastor was like, here's the mic. You can share. My youth pastor would call me and ask me my opinion on things because he felt I had wisdom. I was 16 years old, saved for one year. But when you surrender to the Spirit, maturity happens at an accelerated rate. And I say this all the time, and I thought this too when I was pregnant. I was like, just get through this one appointment. Just get through this one OB appointment. You can do this because of the end result, and the sooner you do it, even with my therapy, okay, I'm going to be real. I told my therapist, I was like, let's just go there. Let's go right to the mountain. Let's go right to the hurt, because I just want to get through it as fast as possible. Well, God's like that too. You surrender, and the more you surrender, and the greater surrender, the faster your deliverance, the faster your maturity. There is no age on maturity. There is no timeline on maturity. You can accelerate your growth through obedience. Does that encourage some of you that maybe you're 50 and you're like, man, I haven't been, I, I've been a Christian, but I, I'm spiritually immature. I want to encourage you, dude, it, it could take months. Like literally you could be there in a short while, or you could be a five-year-old that just surrenders to the spirit. And you look at that five-year-old and you're like, oh my gosh, I have a lot to learn from them. Or you could be 15 or 18, right? Because God can accelerate your growth. Abiding in Christ breaks the power of sin, and it gives us freedom to be authentically kind. It's not possible on my own strength like I talked about. My strength has limits, and I have been on a road trip with my family and extended time with extended family, and I definitely came to a place of my limits were cut short. (laughs) Again, I know you've never experienced this, but on our road trip at the lake, I, you know, you're, you're in different schedules. You're, I'm not abiding in Christ like I should be. And you guys, if you know me, you know this. This is not like legalistic to me or it's just I need time with Jesus or I'm a messed up human. You know me. You know who I am. You've seen me. And it, all the goodness that you see come out of me only comes from abiding with him. Well, let's be real. On vacation, I didn't abide with him as much as I would like to. And bing, bam, boom, some fruit happened. And I remember thinking immediately when this fruit happened, (laughs) I could just hide it. I'll just sweep it under the rug, make some excuses. I'm tired. You hurt my feelings. You were wrong. Blame it. Blame it on someone else. That's a good thing, too. Oh, that fruit, that's not from me. That's from you. You gotta own your fruit. And I just felt like the Holy Spirit, first of all, 
I think that there are several things that we should do. Well, several, two, two things we should do. Acknowledge our fruit between God and between man. And then get connected to the vine. And you can do that anywhere at any time. And so what I did is I went up to the person that the fruit happened to and I said, would you forgive me? I messed up. I messed up. Fruit happened. I was acting out of the flesh, not the spirit. And then that same, like five minutes later, I was like, Holy Spirit, this is evidence I'm not connected to you. I can't be nice on my own. I'm not a nice person. I need you. Fill me now with your spirit. I choose your way, not my way. I choose your spirit, not my flesh. And man, everything about that day totally changed, but we have to be there. See Romans 8, 10, and 11. We cannot fight the sinful nature on our own and win, but Christ can fight it for us if we let him, if we give him access, right? The power of sin is broken, but the pattern of sin you need the spirit to help you with. Only those spiritually alive can bear spiritual fruit, Romans 7, 6. And you know, I get it. Knowing scripture makes us feel like we have more power, but you know what? Knowing scripture and being able to quote lots of scripture is not the same as acting on that scripture, right? We are not about knowledge-based Christianity. We're about obedience-based Christianity because that changes lives. And, you know, even the Jews, right? They were the religious people of the day. They totally missed Jesus. And they, I mean, they tied scripture to their heads, people. They could quote more scripture than any person in here. But they did not understand God's righteousness. Knowing and understanding are very different. By spending time with Jesus, we can understand his rightness. We have the righteousness of Christ at salvation, but to understand it, we are going to have to partner with the Holy Spirit to break the pattern of sin through intentional obedience and intentional intimacy and surrender to the Spirit of Christ. Paul says it the best in Ephesians. He says, take off the old man. Christ died for you. Don't live according to that. Put on the new man. God has new mindset. He is new for you. Psalm says it this way, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I like to say it this way, delight in the Lord, engage with him, abide with him, enjoy him. And he's not just gonna give you what you want, he's gonna transform what you want. He's gonna change your wants and your desires. I declare this over my kids all the time, Lord, let them delight in you so that you will become the architect, the designer of their wants, needs, and desires and he'll change you from the inside out because abiding with Christ breaks the power of flesh and it frees us, it frees us to act in kindness. We're bringing this to, the to a close and why not talk to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, how do you want me to respond right now? Or maybe even as you pray, what can I do in response to this this week? We're gonna just give God some time right now. Would you stand with me? Thanks again for listening to this message at Rivers Church. We'd love to have you subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. 
To learn more about what's going on in the life of our church community, check us out at riverschurch.co. I pray that this week you would walk in the power and the presence of God. Thanks for joining us.